0: You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about cathedral-like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearcathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Dave Ammons. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. Thank you. Destiny, my girl. Come on. How's everybody doing this morning? Happy Sunday, it's good to have you guys here in church. Uh, Apparently a lot of you guys were very concerned that I forgot to tuck in the other side of my shirt tail last week. Apologize to put you guys through so much stress, so I just left the whole thing out this week. I'm going to tell you right now. Hey, don't worry. Don't worry, I will keep you guys guessing at all times with all things fashion, okay? It's just too much fun, right? I always know when I get a lot of comments, and I'm like, oh, that was a good one. Anyways, we'll keep it good this weekend, all right? Uh, we've got a lot of things going on around the church, a lot of great things, a couple other things that I just kind of want to talk about a little bit is I think everybody at this point is now in school, right? All, all schools are in session, right? All right, fantastic. Got a couple parents excited about that, <laughs> they're real excited over here, that's what I'm talking about. And uh, so that means we got all the teachers going back in. Come on, l- l- raise your hand if you're a part of the teaching community administration. Let me, let me just see you. Actually, stand up to your feet. I know you don't like this, but I'm gonna let me just see you real quick. If you're a teacher, if you're a preschool worker, if you're in college, if you're a graduate te- I don't, if you're in administration, whatever it is, that's amazing. Real quick, just while we have this, everybody in the room, just extend your hand towards these guys real quick. Lord, would you just bless them? What an amazing year with an amazing influence within their classrooms. Lord, would you give them wisdom they need to handle every situation. Lord, I bless this year to be greater than any other year teaching in their entire life. And the entire church said? Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for what you guys do. So proud of you guys. Thank you all for making such an impact in this world. Uh, I tell you what, this next generation needs some amazing teachers. So thank you for taking that calling up. Hey, the next thing, we are still continuing our, um, our prayer that we do every single Wednesday morning. This is happening every single week. And, and I just want to personally invite you this week. I'll be leading this week's um, uh, a prayer meeting. It happens on Wednesday right here in the Worship Center. And uh, we're continuing this effort to expose this system, this process of the tabernacle prayer, of, of, of what would happen during that time. There was a system, and yes, this is an Old Testament process, but there, when we apply this system to our life, uh, man, it gives us such a great platform, a great foundation of prayer in our own life. And so I just want to personally invite you guys. We're nearing the end of that whole process. Uh, and if you just want to join just to say, you know what, Dave, I want to get a little bit better in prayer. I want to understand a little bit. Well, This is an amazing ground to do that. So I encourage you. Come here Wednesday morning. Uh, love to have you. If you can't meet us, if you're on the way to work or whatever the case, Uh, You got to love the technology that we have because you can join us right online. And so no matter what method works for you, I would love, love, love to have you there. Last thing I got is just because I'm personally excited about this, but we're getting close to the Burr months. Can I just get an amen for that? I mean, it's getting ready to be fire pit season, oyster season, football season. I mean, it's some good stuff coming down the pike. So get excited about that. So we got some good stuff. All right. All right, let's go ahead and launch into part number two of this series. We're in a brand new series that we're entitling The Good Life. You just saw a, a, a pretty good detailed um, recap of last week. And really what that highlighted is that highlighted the promises that God, did you know that God has promises for you in your life? Yes, that's what we exposed this past week. And the premise of this series of what we're wanting to go through is that Yes, there's a lot of promises all throughout Scripture, but there's four core promises that we see throughout the entire Bible Old Testament, New Testament, and everything in between. Uh, and when we see these promises, well, they come with a guarantee. They come with a guarantee about your future. And that excited me because there's a lot of things in life, depending especially on your background, that you may have, you may be weary of the promises that come, right? But as we expose these promises that God has for us, they're a guarantee about your future. And so we're going to expose these promises uh, because really what it is is they're they're, they're the heart of what God wants to do in every single one of our lives. And that's part of my goal is as a church that, as you heard in the video, I don't want to leave them on the table. If there's an offer, if there's a promise that God has for us, the last thing that I want to do or, as a pastor, want you guys to do is to leave these promises. If your life could be better and all you got to simply do is pick it up, wow, that easy? Let's make it happen. Let's make sure that we're not doing that whole thing. And, and so that's, that's exactly what we're going to do. Uh, and we're going to grab a hold of these promises with both hands, like Scripture says, and just know them. Understand them and pursue them and let them come alive in our life, okay? The first time we see this scripturally is in the story uh, about Moses. And and Moses is getting the Israelites out of bondage. Moses is getting the Israelites out of the captivity that they have been in. And we find this story in the book of Exodus. Uh, And we're going to explore that a a little bit. But once, once once the Israelites were free from this captivity that I'm talking about, what they would do is they would set some time aside every single year to do something. They would set aside some time to celebrate the promises that God had given them. They wanted to slow down a little bit. They wanted to remember what God had done, and they wanted to celebrate what he had done in, uh, in their life. And, uh, and this is something that we see uh, really honestly a lot throughout Scripture. I don't know if you know this, uh, but, but and I say this to a lot of folks. Man, when I read the Bible, this, this God figure that I read about, this, this Jesus figure that we read about, he's a fun dude. Like, he is an awesome guy. I mean, most of his ministry was done around eating. I can get down with that. I personally feel like it's a gift of mine, right? But in all throughout scripture, we see that he says, hey, it's important to set time aside to remember, to, to rest, or in 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 our Terms. Well, the Bible says that they feast, right? We've we've heard that term in the Bible. Our modern day term, you know what it is? Party. God wants us to party, okay? Now, in a certain way, not like you did in college, but in a certain way, okay? But seriously, the Old Testament is full of God ordained celebration, God ordained feast, God ordained parties. Uh, And and here's, here's how it looks. There's seven different holidays that throughout the year, seven different feasts throughout the year, that when you add them all up, account for about 31 days of the calendar year. So you can see, hey, this is an important thing that God wants us to set aside time to remember, to rest, to celebrate, the feast. And there's four feasts in the spring, and there's three feasts in the fall. So seven total feasts. Uh, and here's, here's just a side fun fact about the feast. Okay, you can explore this on, you, on your own if you want. The first four feasts that were done in the spring, they accurately predicted and prophesied the first coming of Jesus, okay? Now, the second feasts that come in the fall, we're getting ready to enter into that season, right? What those will do is those will also accurately and prophetically tell us about the second coming of Jesus, Okay? Now, I don't have time to get into that. If that interests you or piques your interest, we did a series uh, about the end times where we kind of explore that topic just a little bit. I encourage you to go back, dive into that series, uh, because it's just a fascinating, fun, study the feast. It's really uh, fascinating. Now, during the the Feast of Passover, which is the feast that we're talking about in this series, this, this happened during the Spring Feast. And here's what they're doing, is they're celebrating freedom the way I described it is kind of like Independence Day for us, where they're celebrating their free- freedom. And the way that they do this is they do so with four cups of wine, four cups, each of them representing a different one of the promises. And so let's go back through our theme verse, and this will this will serve as. Not only a reminder for all of us this this last week, but if you're joining us, here is our theme verse, and here's where we get these four core promises. This is a, uh, Exodus chapter 6. Oh, by the way, you should have got a handout. I had time to do notes this week. we got an incredible team. They helped me out like crazy. If you don't have notes, just simply raise your hand. Somebody will get it, okay? And... If you like it on your phone, bring up our app, and the notes are already in your phone as well. So the team killed it this week. I'm telling you right now, they made me look real good this week. All right, so Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, verse, uh, verse 6 and 7, it says this. Therefore, say to the Israelites that I am the Lord. He's reminding the Israelites who he is. Now, the actual translation of the name that we see here of God Now, a lot of times in your Bible, you'll see that it says, it actually spells out the name Lord in all capitals, okay? Now, the version of that, the Hebrew version of that is Yahweh. More specifically, you have to take out the vowels of that, and it's YHVH, okay? Now, this name would have been very familiar to them. In fact, in Genesis, leading up into this point, they've already heard this name over 160 times, okay? Okay? And this name, what's so neat about this is that it's literally connected to every breath that we breathe. Breathe. (sighs) Yahweh. Every breath that is breathed on this planet literally speaks the name of Jesus. Isn't that good? So right from the beginning, we see, hey, I need to remind you of something. I need to remind you that I am the Lord. I'm not only the covenant-making God, but I'm the covenant-keeping God. Now, why do you think God would find it necessary to remind these people of who he is, to remind them of I am Lord? Here's the reason why, is because the previous generation knew him, but the current one didn't know who he was. And so he had to remind them Hey, I am the Lord. Sounds a lot like the society that we have right now. Previous generations knew who he was, but this current generation that he was speaking to, they forgot his name. They forgot his power. They forgot that when he makes a covenant, it's coming true in their life. And so he's reminding them, hey, listen, tell them, I am the Lord. And then he goes on to give us the four I wills, these four promises First one being this, he says, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, God promises to save us, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this first cup, this first promise that God has for us. I'll talk about more about that later, so let's go ahead and go on. The second one that we see is, I will free you from being slaves to to them. So he took him out of Egypt, now he's taken from being slaves. And I know this sounds the same. It sounds like the same thing, but it's not. Because God is after delivering us from things that hold us back in our life, those struggles, those challenges that we have. And it's important to note this. It's important to know that this is the second thing that we see. This isn't the first thing that we see, because God's heart is not for us to have to clean ourselves up, then we can come to God. No, rather the opposite. God says, just just come, just follow me. We'll, We'll get to all that kind of stuff later. So it's important to note that that's the second step. And he goes on and says, the third promise being, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Okay, meaning, listen, I know that you got off the beaten path a little bit, but what this is doing is saying, okay, I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to get you back into the original, the the intended plan from the beginning of time for your life. That's the third promise. The fourth one is this. It says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Now, this, this promise now begins to turn outwards. Okay, this is, the first three promises were you, 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 right? This fourth one, it's plural. It's a, it's a people group. Think about it this way. Once God does everything that he needs to do in you and I... Right, Everything that he needs to do to help us, to get us straight, then he says, hey, I need you to become outward-focused because I want to use the journey that you've just taken for an internal purpose to impact others. It's plural. He makes us a people group. And when you do all this, then, then you will know that I am your Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, so that's our theme verse. And in the, in the Jewish people, the, the, the Jewish Passover meal, this feast of Passovers, they would celebrate these four, um, these four promises, these four I wills, with four different cups of wine, each of them reminding them of the goodness of who God is. So let's explore the, those, those cups real quick. The first cup is this, is the cup of sanctification, And what God is doing, he's saying, listen, I I promise you salvation. It's it's what we're going to talk about today, so I'm not going to talk about too much there in this overview. um, But here's what I do want you to hear, because many people hear this word, or assume when they hear this word, sanctification, oh shoot, i got to be perfect. Okay, even though that association makes sense, i got to be sanctified, right? It's inaccurate. Okay, I want you to think of it this way. You are currently sitting in a sanctuary, okay? Now, is this building perfect? No. Otherwise, we wouldn't be dreaming up how to change almost every square inch of this place right now, right? It's not a perfect building, but what this building is, it is a sanctuary, which means that it is set apart for a particular purpose, This room is set apart for us to gather together. This room is set apart for us to worship and praise God, learn more about his word. It is a room that is set apart, okay? Let's apply that to relationships. Your marriage is set apart from every other relationship on this planet Earth. Now, is there any perfect marriages in the room, okay? It's not a perfect relationship, but it is a relationship that is set apart, okay? God promises in this first cup, hey, I will save you. He has you and I set apart. We're not perfect, but we are set apart for God's purpose. We're gonna explore that today. The second cup is this is that uh, we would drink from the cup of deliverance. God promises freedom. What does this mean? Okay. Now, in the first step, God requires absolutely nothing from us, right? All he wants us to do is say, yeah. I'll follow you. That's it, okay? Then the second step comes. He says, okay, now that we've settled that, now I can help you get out of some of the issues that plague you so often, that issue that you try to get out of your life, but it just seems like it's kind of stuck there. And and here's the sad part about this stuff is that over 80% of people get stuck in the merry-go-round of this lifestyle, right? It's like I've I've tried literally 100 times, and it's like I, I can never get over this whole thing. And so I'm excited to talk about that next uh, next week because um, here's, what I'm, here's what my prayer is, is that as, we, as a church, we're not a part of that 80%, right? The merry-go-stops now that these promises have been exposed and we can understand, hey, this is how God intended. When we truly grab a hold of these promises, that merry-go-round can stop. And here's the thought that I had as I said it uh, as I was thinking about our life. But doesn't it feel like we can never boldly walk into our future because we keep stumbling over our past and tripping through our future? That part will stop when you understand and actually grab a hold of the promises that God has. Third cup. It's the cup of redemption. The promise here is that God promises restoration. And here's what literally happens. He picks you up from wherever you are in life, sets you down on your two feet, dust you off. All right. Now we got you good. Now let me put you back where you're supposed to be. It's just that simple because he promises restoration. The final cup is this, is is that it's a cup of praise because how many of you guys know by the fourth cup you're going to be praising something? Right? I mean, I know that's not biblical and all that, right? But it's true, right? But here's the hope. The hope and the purpose behind this fourth and final cup is God wants us to experience the ultimate good life because God promises fulfillment. That's what we're going to be praising about because it's a life that really we can't think, imagine, or possibly dream of, but yet we can experience right here on this earth. All right, so that's the overview of it. So let's go ahead and dive into the first cup. And to do that, what I want to do is I want to go back to the original story. The people of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, And Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt, they forced the Israelites to to make bricks day in and day out. They were working in the dirt. And these bricks that they were making, listen, they were making some amazing stuff. They were making some of the wonders of the world, the ancient wonders of the world, like the pyramids. But before we go there, let's, let's go back just a little bit further. Because how did they even get to this point? You see, there was a massive drought and a massive famine in the land of Israel, and the people of Israel became extremely desperate. They became extremely desperate. They needed food. They needed grain. They needed different crops to survive. And guess who had those supplies, those resources? Egypt had everything that they needed. Now, at the time that the Israelites initially came, there was a very kind Pharaoh. Okay, He he allowed them to stay there. He allowed them to work there. He, he allowed them to make a living, right? Everything was going fine until new leadership came into Egypt, and they started noticing something. They started noticing how fast the Jewish people were multiplying, much faster than the Egyptians, okay? So the pharaoh of Egypt, this new leader, this new pharaoh, he woke up one day and decided, man, this has to stop. This can't keep happening. I mean, they're going to outnumber us. They'll be able to overtake us, Right? This cannot keep happening. And so he came up with a plan. He began to lock them down. He he began to put uh, so many different rules and regulations on them. And ultimately, it it ended at a place where Pharaoh decided, you know what? I'm just going to make them slaves. I'm going to make the people of Israel slaves, forcing them to work in these mud pits Let's go back to our theme versus the very first verse, and here's what it says. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites, remind them, I am the Lord, and I will bring them out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, this term yoke is the one that I want you to highlight, okay? Simply put, this would have been something that the, that the Israelites would have known exactly what, is, what he was talking about. At the core of what this is, it's a simple instrument that they would place on two oxen to help them pull together. And what it would do is it would force them to be submissive to the will of the farmer. What God is doing is he's promising the Israelites, hey, I want to bring you out from the yoke that you're under. The yoke that is forcing you to be submissive outside of your will. I want to bring you out of the slavery that Egypt has you under, and I will save you. Now, in week one, I told every single one of you, we're somewhere in this journey. None of us get to escape one of the steps that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks. And so now that we're starting to expose these promises and that we understand these promises, here is y'all's role. I want to remind you, not only do we need to know them, Not not only do we need to understand them, which is my hope for what these weekend services will serve for you, but you guys have to actively pursue these and trying to figure out where are you in this journey, okay? Because some of you may ask this morning, do do I need to start right here at the beginning? And some of you, that will be yes. Some of you will ask, is this the first promise that I need? In my job, I'm going to help you to the best of my ability. You can think of me kind of like a guide on this whole story. And here's how I want to start. I want to highlight just a few things of how the Israelites felt, how the Israel, what the Israelites were going through, because I believe they're markers for this first cup. When you understand the story, they're, they're markers for the first cup. And, and the other thing that I think you will agree with me on as we expose these things is that I believe the same things that I'm getting ready to show you are still happening today. Okay. Let let me be a little bit more clear. As you see the bondage, as you see the evil that that Pharaoh put the Israelites through, here's what you're going to discover. That the same evil spirit that was on Pharaoh to treat them like that is still affecting millions of people today. Throughout this entire story... He used three different ways to keep them in bondage. I'm going to show you those to you and, and how this plays out in our lives as well. So I'm going to show you what it was. I'm going to show you how it plays out in our lives because I believe the devil is still operating like he did 3,500 years ago. The tactic of the enemy does not change. He's got his own set of visions and principles that he acts on. I want to show it to you. I want to expose it to you because I think it will help us in our, in our journey. Here's the first thing that Pharaoh did. You can write it down. I think it's in your notes. First thing he did is he forced them as slaves to make bricks. So they were free, now they were slaves, and every day for over 400 years, the Israelites would wake up and they would make bricks in the hot sun over and over. They would eat, sleep, think, dream about making bricks. That's all that they, they were slaves, okay? Now, this word has an immediate feel and connotation in our society today. And rightfully so. When we hear it, what we think about is the atrocities of slavery that have been and continue to take place even to this day. And the tough thing about that is it shows some of the worst side of humanity. And when we hear this word, this, when we hear the word slavery, here's, that's what we go to. We go to those atrocities, and rightfully so. But I kind of want to switch it up for you a little bit. Here's the context that I want you to think about this which is this, and I'm going to pose it in a question, is what have you become a slave to in your life? Now, some of you might be thinking, Dave, I don't like that question. Like, I'm not a slave. Okay, I understand. I understand the pushback on that. But let's expose it a little bit and let's see if this is operating in your life. Okay? Because here's what it means to be a slave. A slave simply means that you submit to a dominating influence. Okay, let me say it a different way. To be a slave means that you bow at the pressure of any other outside force. Now, that outside force could be a person. It could be an object. It could be an ideology. And this is the devil's goal, which is to do this. He wants you to be a slave to something or someone. He wants to get you and I into bondage so that we never even think about this process of being saved by God. And we can become slaves to all sorts of things, right? I mean, millions of people in documentaries have have exposed how many people are actually slaves to technology, right? They can't go two seconds without checking their phone. They are a slave to that technology, right? You could be a slave to your habits. You could be a slave to spending. You could be a slave to different substances, right? And, And here's what it does at the end of the day. No matter what that thing is in your life, it tells you how to live your life. And you don't even like it. You see, people a lot of times will describe it this way. Dave, I just feel stuck. It's like I literally cannot get out. It's like I'm trapped. No matter how hard, it's like I go into it knowing I don't even want to do this. But yet I feel stuck because I'm a slave to it. No matter how much I say no, my answer ends up being yes. And so one of the ways that we can identify with how the Israelites felt is if you felt or if you feel currently enslaved. Yes, they were forced to make bricks, but maybe you feel enslaved to something or somebody in your life. And it may be as innocent as technology, or maybe it's something bigger. Maybe maybe something happened to you in your life, and you close down a part of who you are. It's, It's like your heart is no longer able to operate properly, and you can't even open up to receive love the way that God... I'm not sure what happened Let's look at what John says about it. John says this uh, in John chapter 8. Jesus is speaking. He says, Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped. Everybody say trapped. Trapped. Here's that word. And not only are you trapped, but you're in a dead-end life. In fact, here's what you are. You're a slave. What's a slave? A slave can't come and go at will. A slave is a person who is stuck, who is trapped. They can't come and go and, as they please. It tells you how to live your life. And maybe your life is characterized by this feeling, like, I just can't get ahead. Like, there's just no way forward. Like, it feels like my life is kind of in quicksand. No matter how hard I try, I just can't get that next step up. And if you identify with this example of feeling enslaved, that this might be your starting point. This, this, this might be it. But let's continue because there's two other things as a part of this first cup. Because it was interesting that as you read this story, no matter how backbreaking the work became, no matter how harshly the Egyptians treated the Israelites, this is what happened. They continued to increase in number, they continued to spread out all over Egypt. This ticked off the Pharaoh. He said, This ain't happening. I'm gonna put a stop to it. And here's the second thing that he did. Because he said, not only am I going to 100% make sure that I decrease their numbers, but I'm going to crush them internally as well. And what he did is he mandated for this to happen all over the land, but for every male baby to be thrown into the Nile River and to kill them. He asked for the murder of babies. Now, this is a hot topic right now. Has been, right? It's a hot topic, but can I tell you that this isn't a new issue? This just isn't An issue for our modern-day, advanced technologically society, okay? Satan has used this tactic for every generation that has lived on this earth. This isn't new, and here's the reason why. Is that Satan knows that every precious unborn baby is full of potential with a plan and a purpose from God himself, And what Satan knew then and what he knows now is if he could stop the baby from even being born, he could stop the potential ever being a possibility. But let's apply that to our life. How does that look like in my life? Because in the same way, you feel like something has happened to you. Like, I know there's potential. But where is it? Did somebody rob it? What happened to it? And the result of this whole thing is you feel empty. Maybe this is a part of your soul. Maybe, maybe this is a part of your story that you feel robbed, that you feel potential less, that like nothing you do make a difference. And on the extreme end of this, you feel at times, man, this, this world doesn't even need me. And what's happening on the inside is on the inside, you're literally secretly dying. Listen to me very clearly. I want you to stop thinking about whatever it is that you're thinking about, and I want you to listen to me. Your lunch plans are going to stay there. I want you to listen to me right now. The beautiful thing about this cup, this this sanctification process, this salvation piece that God offers freely, is that your soul, when we take this promise, your soul begins to get renewed. And as Scripture says, life is given back to you. The moment that you receive this promise, the moment that you drink from this cup, this new sense of revival comes into your soul. Man, it gives me chills even thinking about it. But this feeling that God is coming into your life, into all of those empty places that the enemy so desperately tried to create in your life. That's the promise. He wants you to be empty. The third and final thing that Pharaoh does in the story is this. He required them to collect their own straw? Now, this is a big deal because it added tremendous amount of hardship to the, to the Israelites. And he was trying to destroy just, he was trying to destroy everything he could about him. And here's, here's, how, here's how it messed him up. You see, the Israelites, they had a quota of bricks that they had to meet, okay? But things were still not going the way that Pharaoh wanted. And so he said, okay, I'm going to bring some more hardship. Not only are you going to have to keep meeting the quota that you have, But that straw that we used to provide, all the materials that we used to provide for you to make those bricks, now you gotta go get it yourself. So what added hours of hours into work that already took them from sunup to sundown to accomplish. Here's the reason why I believe that Pharaoh did this, is he wanted them to be exhausted. He wanted to destroy any hope of a future. He wanted them completely drained, absolutely no energy. He wanted them to be so worn out that they didn't have any time to possibly think about God. And in the same way, you will know if you are in need of God's salvation is if you as well feel exhausted. You see, I'm convinced that the the devil is working overtime with this tactic and how he operates in every single one of our lives. I think he's flat trying to wear every single one of you out. Now, I can't speak for you. Particularly, but I, I, think, I think I can make the statement that I think we make our worst decisions when we're tired. Let me see if this resonates for you. If you're a parent in the house, you're tired, you're exhausted, full day work, cooked dinner, brushed all the teeth, however many there are, right? Put your kids to bed, victory. Whew. Lay down on the couch, get to reintroduce yourself to your wife, right? It's great. Haven't seen you in a while. My name's Dave. It's awesome to meet you. And then your child comes down those steps. And they come down those steps. And after the seventh time of them coming down their steps, you're like, listen, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting. I don't care what you do in your room as long as you stay in your room. Daddy is done. The parenting clock is off. I'm done being a parent for the day. Just get up in your room, boy, and do whatever the heck you want. I don't care. Just get up. You start making bad decisions. I don't care what you do. But when you're tired, you just start making bad decisions, right? Anybody ever go on a vacation? You just need a break from everything. Like, man, if I could just get on by a pool, right? And you come back, and you still feel completely exhausted. You still feel completely empty, yeah? Okay, the same thing happens to us spiritually, when we don't have the promise of this first cup operating in our life. Now, some people say, well, you can spend your whole life doing something that you love, and you'll never get tired. You'll never get burned out. I don't really believe that, because you can get tired. You can get burned out doing some really good things, right? I think this burnout thing that is, is ravaging our land, this exhaustion piece, is a product of us doing too many things that don't matter, We're grabbing a hold of every little thing that we think is going to add value in our life, but they're not the main things that need to happen, and that's where exhaustion comes from. The reason you couldn't get rest from that vacation that you thought was going to be a fix-all, or this, this reset button, is because rest isn't about inactivity. Rest isn't about how much you and I can sit by a pool. Rest, true rest, is a condition of our soul. And the question I think we need to ask is, is our soul, the inmost part of our being, is that exhausted? Do you find yourself always needing a rest? Do you find yourself always needing a break that never seems to come? And if so, this is another feeling that I believe confirms that this might be your starting point. This might be the process, the promise that God has for you. Listen to me. God just wants to rescue you. He has more to life for you and I. He wants to get us out of this life of feeling enslaved, out of, out of feeling empty, out of out of feeling completely exhausted. You remember the verse that we ended on in week one, John chapter 10, verse 10? Okay? Now what I just explained to you, what the what Pharaoh did to the Israelites you just saw Satan's vision and mission statement become a reality in scripture. When it says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he says, I come to steal your hope. I come to kill your dreams. I come to destroy your future. Read back through that story when you have time. I I, want to steal this whole thing, and so I want to enslave you. I want to make you feel like you just don't have any other options. Oh, if that doesn't work, no problem, because I'm, 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 I'm coming to kill your dreams. You think you got a dream birthed on the inside of you? I'm going to take it out. I'm going to kill that dream that you have on the inside. Oh, Oh, you think you have a future? Well, my goal is to destroy that future. I'm going to make you so exhausted. It's the goal of the enemy. But God's got other plans. Because he says, that I've come to do something different, that I may have life and to have it to the full. So with the rest of the time that I have, I want to describe what is that life? What is that fullness that he talks about? Check out how Paul describes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. He says, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if an alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into our lives he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus bringing you alive to himself. He said, "Hey, no longer will your soul feel dead, but you're going to feel alive just like Christ did when I raised him from the dead." And when that happens, when God lives and breathes in you, and he does, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Now, that's another verse. That should put a little pep in your step, okay? That should jack you up. Like, did I just hear that right? I mean, think about this. The same energy, the same power that it took to raise Christ from the dead is alive and available to you and I. That should get you excited. No longer do I have to feel enslaved. No longer do I have to feel empty. No longer do I have to feel exhausted, but you can constantly and consistently get restored and refreshed. Let me give you one more verse. Is that a first Peter? He says, what a good God that we have. Can I get an amen? amen. How good of a God that we have and how fortunate we are to have him. This father, our master, because Jesus has raised, was raised from the dead... We've been given a brand new life, and we have everything to live for, including a future heaven. And that future starts? This is the first thing that's available to us. It's amazing. You see, I can't imagine anybody staying in this old life when this kind of a life is available. Now, you can if you want, right? I mean, I can't imagine that you would want to, but it is a decision. God makes it a decision for us to choose this kind of life. He doesn't force it. He doesn't mandate it. I mean, I can't imagine anyone enjoying this sense and this feeling of everything that we just talked about. That you willingly would choose, hey, I want this feeling of being enslaved, of being empty. Of... No, nobody's in their right mind going to sign up for a life like that. But millions of people do. God says, I want to bring you out. I have so much more to life. And it starts now. The moment that you drink, the moment that this salvation promise hits. And some of you might be thinking, man, this is it for me. This is my step. And at the end of the service, I'm going to give an opportunity for everybody who wants to to drink from this first cup. But I want to end by asking this question. Because if you're thinking, Dave, I think this is me. This is my step. But my question is, okay, great. Then how do we get out? If you're thinking this is me, how do we get it? how do we stop living a life where our souls feel captive to something else? If God's first promise is to get you out, then what's my role? Like, how do I get this first cup? Let me give you 3 quick ways to ensure this according to scripture and it is so simple. Here's the first thing we got to do. First thing we got to do is we got to make a move. Let me say it a different way. If God wants you out, you've got to move with him. Okay, you ever seen the the hero movies where the hero is trying to get somebody out from being shot at? They're getting bullets flying all over the place. And the hero moves, but the the, the other person is so scared that they stay hiding behind. God wants us out, and he can do everything he can, but we have to make the move with him. And if we're going to make a move, let's make sure we're making the move that the Bible talks about for us. And that word for us is we have to repent. We have to repent. Now, this is one of those words again that kind of gets messed up in people's head. They they think you got to put sackcloth and ashes on. That you got to come up here and tears just flow in. And And sure, that is a version, but it's it's not the true version. Here's what it literally means. The Hebrew word for repent is teshuva. Everybody say teshuva. Here's the visual that you need to have. Is literally, it is this: is that I turn. I, I change direction. I literally do a one eighty. That's literally all it is. And, and when we're doing this, we're simply making decisions. decision: saying, "I'm going to turn from how I was living, and I'm going to make it a purpose. Now I want to chase after you, God. I repent." of the ways that I was doing and now I chase after everything that you show me in Scripture. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. Come out from all the ways that you were doing it. Don't touch any unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now look at this relational shift here. When I receive you, I will be a father to you. You will be my son. You will be my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus is communicating to us, hey, make the move, repent, teshuva, do this 180 in your life and in your heart, and watch what happens, I will receive you, you will gain a father, you'll gain a relationship in this process. So the first thing that we have to do is we got to make the move. The second thing that we have to do is exactly what Elsa and Anna taught us to do in 2013. Hit me with it. Let it, go, let it go. Come on. Can't hold it back anymore. All right, wrap it up. Let it go, let it go. So no, that's it, that's, let it, that's go. it, that's it, stop it. I ain't going to sing, I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't sing. Now, that's not exactly what I'm talking about, but I did it because I know it'll stand out in your mind. But the second point is we gotta let it go. We, ha- we have to let it go. And what I'm actually talking about that with that is, is we have to surrender. Now, this is tough for people. This is tough for every single one of us because we like to hold on, right? We're fighters. And we can be stubborn, right? But this decision to follow Jesus and discovering this this process that there is more to life is is the opposite of that and the best way to do that is if we can take advice from another song let's take advice from another modern day philosopher my girl' Jesus, take the wheel, take oh, I didn't like that one. think that country just came up with that on their own. That's a scriptural actual context. Let me show you where it is. It's Mark chapter 8, and here's what it says. It says, any one of you, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help, that's no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to saving yourself, it's the true self, your true self. I was driving with a buddy of mine this past week, and we were going to West Ashley to do something. Now, to characterize this guy's mode of driving, I would compare him to Dale Earnhardt, okay? <laughs> and I'm appreciative of that. Like, I, I, you know, I can, I can get down with some good driving, right? So we're going there. Everything's fine. We're coming back. You'll never guess what this guy does. From 526 to Ashley Phosphate at five o'clock in the afternoon, this sucker doesn't leave the slow lane. Okay, that doesn't bother y'all. I've never wanted to get into the driver's seat so bad in my life. I said, listen here, we're getting ready to play a Chinese fire drill right here on I-26. If you don't get, put your foot on the gas pedal. Get around these people. The other three lanes are just going, just going. Here we are, we sitting in the slow lane. I want to get in the driver's seat so bad, but here's what Jesus says. He says, man, if you're going to follow me, you got to get out of the driver's seat and let me get in there. Give me the steering wheel of your life. Let me say it this way. You can't grab a hold of the life with two hands the way that God describes, the way that God has for you, if you still have one hand on the steering wheel of your old life. If you still have one on your form. L- listen to me. Egypt ain't that good let it go, let it go, make the move, repent, surrender. Last thing is this is this: is you need to commit your life this isn't a this this isn't a religion that he's signing you up for. it's a relationship. this good life that we're talking about, this isn't something that you do once and you think you're done like all right, cool, checked it off today, great, I can go on with the rest of my life. No, it's it's a relational process. You're, You're doing this 180. I'm committing my life to something else, something better, and it's time to change. You've had one foot in the world long enough, and it's time to commit to putting both feet in a relationship with the Lord. Jesus doesn't invite you to a religion it's not a series of laws. It's not a series of rules that you have to follow. Here's a way to think about it. You have to take the if I out of the equation. There's no amount that you or I could do to earn the promise of salvation. There's no amount of if I just do this. There's no amount of if, if I just come to church this amount of times every single year. If I just read the Bible, this, there's no amount of if I could, that it can accomplish what God freely did on this cross, death, burial, and resurrection. There's nothing. That is the only thing that can and did earn our salvation. All we have to do. This is it. All we have to do. All we got to do is say yes. Sign me up, God. I believe what your word says is true. Let me take a look at this last verse. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, just as you used to do this whole life that you devoted your entire life to, all the things that you struggled, you devoted the whole thing to it. Just as much as you did there. So now that we've done this 180, now that we've had this teshuvah moment, this repent moment, now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Interesting that we started this message off talking about what it felt like to offer yourself as a slave to the wrong thing. But the author of Romans has a different command for us. Paul comes along and he says this. He says, I invite you to become a different kind of slave. He tells us to offer ourselves as slaves to righteousness, slaves to God, this relationship with him, meaning that you willingly, not forcefully, not condemningly, but willingly, once and for all, we make this decision to follow Jesus. Church, that's the first cup in this road of all the promises, it's the cup of sanctification. I'm gonna close here in just a second, but before I do, take a look at this. Church, there's only one thing left to do. There's only one thing left for today, which is this, is do we want to take God up on the first offer, the first promise? Millions of people have done this exact same thing. Every single person on the stage has done the exact same thing. We've all had this journey where God says, your life doesn't have to be this way anymore. Oh If I could just spend some time with you, I could pluck you up and say, Dave, there is so much more to life than what you're experiencing. Dave, i got a journey for you that I want you to take. And it all starts with simply saying yes. You don't got to clean yourself up. I don't care how bad you think you are or how bad you've messed up. None of that matters. All I simply need you to do say yes we'll worry about that stuff later all i need you to do is take a sip from that first cup and say yes so i'm going to give you that opportunity so if everybody would do me a favor bow your heads let's close our eyes let's honor the room and if you come here this morning and you say you know what dave i identify with what the israelites were going through the same god who saved those israelites 3,500 years ago has the same promise today for you. And so if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Dave, yes, I want to drink from this first cup. I want the promise of salvation. If that's you here this morning, would you simply just raise your hand? Yeah, absolutely. Come on. That's good. So many hands. There's no reason to be ashamed. There is an absolute, talk about those parties that we were talking about. There is a massive party up in heaven right now for what you just did. Last chance. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you want to receive this first promise that God has for you. Amen. Amen. All right, you can put your hands down. Every single person in this room. I want everybody to pray this with me, but if you rose your hand, this prayer is for you, and it will be so. So would everybody say, and repeat after me. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for meeting me where I am. All of my struggles, all of my challenges, you love me. Thank you for sending your son into this world. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Lord, I chase after you. Would you help me in the challenges that I have? Lord, I want to experience freedom. True freedom. And I'm going to do that by chasing after you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen, amen. amen. Come on, let's give a hand. Listen, there's hands all over this audience. And if that was you, hey, listen to me, I'm so proud of you. Every person in this room is so proud of you. We all remember that day where we made that same decision, and I'm gonna tell you right now, it's the best decision of your life. Your life is just now getting ready to truly begin a journey that you never thought possible. Would you let us know some way? Let a volunteer know. Come up here. If you're new here for the first time, I'd love to get to know you. Introduce yourself to me. We've got a process. We would love for you to take your next step, which is our growth track. Find out more of the story. What's your story? Come and join us every single week. It happens right down this hallway in a room that we call our chapel. We would love to take that journey with you. Church, thank you guys for being here. Go ahead and stand up. Put your hands out in front of you. Lord, I bless them with this reality that you've got an incredible life plan for them. And Father, would you continue to open up our mind, open up our eyes as we continue to discover this life that is so much more. And everybody said, amen. Bless you guys. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Cathedral Podcast. If you are encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.